you have a family business? Are you working in a family business? Or do you know of a family business? In fact, most of us do. Stay tuned for my fabulous, wide-ranging, fascinating conversation with Sarah B. Stern, who is a family business expert, where she talks about the three-circle model of family businesses. She talks about her book, and she talks about the challenges and the opportunities of family businesses. Stay tuned. Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Team Success. Today, I am thrilled to be talking with Sarah Stern, who is an expert in family businesses. She's also an EOS implementer. She's also an author with a lot of books in her, as well as some published. So Sarah, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me, because in entrepreneurial world and entrepreneurial teamwork, family businesses are a thing, but it's not something we've ever focused on on this podcast. So I... I'm very appreciative for having met you at EOS QCE, at the Couples Workshop, incredibly highly recommended by our mutual friends, Justin and Jill, EOS. So I'm just, thank you very much for sharing not only your time, but your wisdom, because everything you're saying will apply to people listening who are working, who have a family business, which is a huge percentage of American businesses, I had no idea, who work for family businesses, they're all the things. So I'm... I'm excited to ask you all the questions. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. You're right. Statistics say two-thirds of companies, privately held companies in the U.S. are family businesses. Statistics say 40% in Canada, but I can't believe it's that low, to be honest. It's got to be higher. Um, And around the world, there are some countries where it's 90% are family businesses. And if you include some publicly traded companies, they're also family businesses. Yes. Large percentage. Larger percentage than you would think. Yeah, like Walmart and all the big ones that we forget are are actually family businesses and controlled by the families. Yes. Ford, Disney. I mean, I'm not quite sure exactly how many of them, many, many are still, you know, controlled by families, but huge, huge organizations, family business. Yeah. So excited to be here, to be your first person to talk about this huge amount of companies in the whole world. Yeah. And entrepreneurial. People think they're not entrepreneurial. It's not true really entrepreneurial companies. Excellent. I can't wait. So before we jump in, what should people know about you in terms of what your passion is, what your history is, all the things? So tell us about Sarah. I'll give you the short story. I discovered in an amazing program, not as amazing as Strategic Coach, but awfully close, that my personal why in life is to make the biggest difference that I can in the world now and for generations. And the obvious way to do that is to work with the leadership teams of family businesses. And so that's what I do. I started as a coach and I worked with lots of leadership team members one-on-one. Then I ran a family business center out of a university and uh, that all led me to EOS. And I think that's the biggest way I can make the biggest difference serving my clients as an EOS implementer. But the other thing, and you said, I have lots of books in my head inside of me. I think there's probably eight to 12 of them, but I have one published, so I can't help but to get these ideas down. And I say book, but they're really guides or workbooks. My goal is to boil down a whole bunch of information into 60 or fewer pages that are meant to be written on and have people work through. Oh, I love that. That's how they're designed. Let's share the name of your book so that people can look at it as they're listening. First one is called Start Here, A Guide for Family Business Succession. It is literally where to start. Mm -hmm. That's the first one. And then in July of 2022, I plan to publish a book that is yet to be officially named, but it will be for, or it is for the spouses of family business owners. Oh, interesting. I love how you talked about your why, and I do want to know how you figured yeah. it out and where, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but what caused you, like, I know when I write books is to solve a problem. I'm not necessarily inspired by a brilliant new idea. I'm usually inspired by something that's frustrating me or other people. So what problem are you solving with book number two? Oh my gosh. With book number two, what I found, and maybe this conversation we're having can help me find something else. But what I found is this, as I Google around, because that's a verb now, I love that. (laughs) I cannot find resources for the spouses of the owners out there. So that's troubling. But the first issue that I saw is I have been in many conversations with either owners of businesses or their spouses. And the spouse with a big heart and good intentions is pushing for things that are very destructive to the business and ultimately the family. An example of that is I've heard of lots of spouses 
saying things to their spouse who's owning or running the family business. You're not allowed to fire my kid or they all have to make the same amount of money or they all have to get the same ownership. And I understand that thinking, right? It's fair, fair, fairness. But the look on your face is telling me and hopefully the thoughts in people's heads are saying, Good big heart when you say that, but very bad, very destructive for the business. And when things are destructive for the business, they're ultimately destructive for the family. So that's the big problem that I wanted to solve is to help spouses have clarity about their role and how they truly do influence the business and how they can influence it in a more healthy way. I love every second of that. And that's almost to my mind, like family and business can can be, is it oxymoron? <laughs> they can really clash yeah. because the mindset of a family is one thing and the mindset of a business is another. And how you put those two things together well is actually, I think the question and the pursuit, and, and I think it's probably lifelong. I don't know there's an answer because every single family and every single family business is unique, but we can get some signposts. We can get some wisdom along the way. Do this, don't do that. Yes. So I am i can't wait to dive into all the things. <laughs> and just because yeah. it's going to drive me crazy, maybe somebody else, how did you figure out your why? I'm super curious about that. Oh gosh. So I was in this incredible program called Studio E. And I shouldn't have said it's not as good. It's a different thing. It's this incredible program called Studio E. They put together leaders of different organizations, like church leaders and, you know, people in politics and artists and people from the, you know, higher ed, et cetera, all this stuff. And part of the exercise was to think about, you know, very morbid, what would you want written on the back of your gravestone, right? Uh That was the question. Um, And it was digging in and thinking about what would, what is that? I mean, that's what I landed on. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's the, the four generations part has really anchored you in the family business world. So yeah. I love that yeah. you know your passion yeah. and your why and your purpose, and it just keeps you aligned. Like one of mine is I'm probably not as crystal clear on it though, but I really want people's experience while the human experience while you're working to be fabulous and transformational. I want people to be happy with themselves and productive and in great teamwork. And so I've been doing that kind of consciously since almost 18. And that was a very long time ago, almost 40 years. (laughs) It's, it's very fun. Our purpose is aligned. So I love that story. Love that. All right. So let's just jump in. You gave some phenomenal statistics about the numbers of family business, but do you have a very simple definition of a family business? Hmm. And the reason I'm asking is because I, when I was having another conversation about this, a long time ago, someone said, oh, well, technically strategic coach is a family business because it's owned by a husband and wife team. I just about <laughs> fell over because yeah. I've always said we're a business of families. Ooh. Like I work with my mother and my sister at coach. There are numerous other families that have been or are a part of coach, but I always thought of us as a business first that just happened to have some family members in it. And Dan and Babs don't have children. The team and the yeah. clients <laughs> fill that role. Are there? Um, yeah. Yeah. So is there a simple, clear definition of family business that we should all just align on? So it's very interesting because you put your finger on something that there are a huge amount of words and research and theories about. So I'm going to try to narrow that down to there are many definitions of family business. Some of them are at least two members of a family are in it, right? So that would be strategic coach Yeah. in so many ways, right? There's others that define a family business as having to have two generations, in the business by design. And that's the definition that is probably the most helpful for the conversation we're having today. Although we could have a huge conversation about all the different models of family business that there are out there. But my guess is this one of either two generations in the business, or I guess I'm going to broaden it a little bit. There is a definition of family business that is there's only one generation in the business, but, or this isn't a definition, but this is a way of thinking. Like, let's say I have my business, a kid is starting to express interest in it. Right. The things we're talking about here are helpful for that, right? Maybe they aren't, haven't quite made the move, but I think a lot of these topics would be helpful. Really. And I think that's relevant because the other thing is, if, you know, like even just if I take Dan and Babs, so they have the two of them, in their case, no children what happens to it, right? So, and if you've got a leadership team, like, let me just take another person and just talking to a really good friend and client yesterday. So started the business, actually took it over from somebody and 
his children are now expressing an interest. So what happens? They also have a leadership team with some ownership, which I know you're going to touch on. So how do you navigate that? And I know I have a lot of team leaders with whom I work that actually are on that leadership team and don't want to get, what's the word? Subjugated. To the owner, a family member, or the family. Yes, it's not nearly the experience, not nearly the capabilities. Hadn't put the time and effort in, and just gets it because of the last name, right? So there's those issues. Another one, actually, the company that my brilliant support partner Katrina just left, it's been passed on to the daughter, and she's going to run into the ground, right? So that's heartbreaking. I know, right? And then there's some brilliant ones. Colby is a fabulous example, you know, where the son and stepdaughter actually technically yeah yeah david colby and amy brisky who are brilliant so kathy's passed it down to them and they've done a great job but they're very clear that per their book business is business right yeah based on capability and contribution not on last names or familial ties so let's talk about all the things yeah love it because i i see a lot of the dangers and i see a lot of people because of that issue with the spouses you were talking about, because of the heart desires, but something happens when that clashes with what's best for the business. So if we can help to like tease that out a little bit, I think that would be very useful for people listening. Let's dig in. And I have to say, as you were just talking about that, I had a light bulb moment. So you're talking about who you work with your mom and your sister. Uh Is that right? I hired them both. And then they quickly outgrew me. (laughs) It's so good to be related to geniuses, right? So I just had a light bulb moment. I think the model I'm excited to share may be helpful for you and your family members too. I love we'll that. see. Okay. We'll talk it through. Maybe not, maybe so. So yeah, can I share this model that is just so amazing? So all the issues you just talked about, right? This hiring people or giving a business to somebody who runs it into yeah. the ground, yeah. losing amazing talent in your company because they can't grow because you've got a family member in there who yeah. doesn't necessarily really yeah. uh, say deserve or hasn't earned the seat right. can be incredibly destructive to a family. Well, first the business usually, and then the family. And the model that I think is so elegant and so simple is not my model. I've created other things, but I didn't create this. Harvard School of Business created, the long name for it is the three circle model of family business. And I wonder, can you share links and stuff through the Absolutely, podcast? yes. And, and we've got much better show notes now, thanks to our oh, yay. fabulous team. So we'll be posting all this. Good. So don't you worry. We got, okay. we got all the That's things. Awesome. So, but the beautiful thing is I can describe this thing. People can click on the link and see it, but if they're listening while they're driving, which is how I usually listen to things, just imagine in your head, a three circle Venn diagram. Not everybody knows what a Venn diagram is. So I'm going to say it's three circles that are overlapping, but not completely. Right. So each circle is touching the other circle. The beauty of that model is back in the old days of family business research, which by the way, family business research is one of the newest things that people are researching in academia, but it is the oldest model for business. Oh my gosh. Like if you go to China, it's like hundreds of years. Yes. If you read the Bible, the Old Testament, there's family business in there. Like, my goodness. Anyway, but it's yet it's a new form of research. So anyway, that's fascinating other conversation. But the original model was just two circles overlapping. Okay, It was family and business. Mm. And the thing about the model, the three circle model of family business is they added a third circle of ownership. Nice. And that was a huge change. That was only a little over 40 years ago that they identified that. While I did not create that model, I am on a personal quest to have people know about it. And you can literally draw it on a napkin or in the sand when you're golfing, whatever, right? It's so simple. <laughs> You've got it on your paper. Yep, I just did. It's totally news to people, even advisors who work with family businesses. And it's totally news for many family businesses. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, or if you think about it, a lot of light bulbs go off for people because what family business is not even though people act this way a lot of the time, is three circles on top of each other, the business, the family, and ownership. And I want to talk about the significance of adding the ownership component because yeah. that's really, I'm sorry I'm saying the challenges with family businesses. I also need to say there's incredible opportunities as well, which are Such pretty fabulous. Like we love hiring people who grew up with entrepreneurs as parents because they're yes. phenomenal and they get it and they care and they contribute and they're amazing. So I have goosebumps about you pointing that out. Yeah. yeah. So I <laughs> let, 
make sure that no one thinks I'm biased against them. <laughs> that would be really yeah. dumb and wrong. But let's talk about adding that ownership circle because that's kind of a profound distinction that shifts a lot of other things. So why was this so critical to add into the family business circles? Yeah, and, and this is me talking about my opinions about that, um, less so than it is me quoting other wise people who probably say even more wise things about this than I'm about to. For sure they do. But anyway, the big thing is when you pull out ownership, what it points out is there are three different systems working all at the same time. And those three systems have different decisions that they should be making. Okay. Right. So that's one big thing. The family should be making one set of decisions. The business should be making another set, but without ownership, it gets really goofy. Like, is the family deciding this or is the business deciding this? You put ownership in there without that. Let's use the most common family business thing in the name of the famous HBO show, right? Succession, who should own it in the next generation without that ownership circle. It might be mom or dad who gets to decide who owns it, but that's not right. And it shouldn't be whoever's running the business. It's owners. Uh It's the owners who decide who owns the business. So that's just one example of how that's profound to take that third circle out. And quite frankly, in my opinion, I think the three circle model is just genius for any entrepreneur, Uh period. It's the three circle model of family business. But most entrepreneurs are running around every day running the business. They're not thinking about the decisions that they ought to or could be making as an owner separate from the decisions that are about in the day running it. Well, I can't remember where this distinction came from, but I remember talking with, I remember who now, but it was like, you can have an owner. I think we were chatting about this. You can have an owner that's not currently active in the business. Yes. Right. They're going to have one mindset or one perspective on it. Then you can have someone who's running the business with no ownership stake. Yes. They've They've got a different perspective. And then sometimes you've got both. And the compensation, by the way, is different. So you've got probably what equivalent dividends, right? If you're an owner, you get some return on your investment. Then you get paid for your role. Yeah. Because you have a job in the company or one or the other. But you kind of need to switch hats sometimes. Yes. And that must be challenging. It is so, 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 so challenging, especially without that model. Yeah right? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that model, what a lot of people have is this internal thing saying, I shouldn't fire my kid. I shouldn't fire my aunt. I shouldn't fire my mom. Because if you're a family member, you're right. You should not fire your mother from the family, right? That's a sane thing, but it's insane when you put that on the business. And I like to say those three circles have their own rules of engagement. Yeah. Right. So it's not the same rules of engagement for the three circles in the family. The rules of engagement are you're born here or adopted here or married here. You have a seat here. Uh That's how it works in the business. It should be right. People right seat. And of course I'm an EOS implementer. So that's what I say. That's EOS language, entrepreneurial operating system language. But the same is true. If you read Jim Collins, get the right people on the bus. Right. Yeah. So It feels true when you're a leader of the family business, like I shouldn't fire my kid. You're right. Don't fire them from being your kid. But if they're not the right person in the right seat in the business, please fire them. Please fire them. Right. And then the rules of engagement for ownership have to be defined by that ownership group. How do you become an owner? Do you have to buy it? Are you gifted it? Do you have to work there? Do you have to work somewhere else? Do you have to be a certain age? You know, you have to define that and then stick to it. I can't give those rules other than you have to create an ownership philosophy, and then follow it. Right. And I know some of the best people to consult with that are, you know, any kind of ownership transformation. It's like there's legal and financial structures that you can do that are easy or that make it really hard. The worst thing you can do, though, is do nothing. Yes. That you've just, I'm sorry, you've just written the death certificate on your business if you don't engage in those conversations. So that sounds very dramatic. I also believe it to be true. So it's critical. Like, so note to self, it's like, okay, I know it's uncomfortable to think about when you're, I like to use the term beam up because I, I can't talk about people dying all the time. It's just, and I'm a Star Trek fan. So there you go. So it's like, okay, when so-and-so beams up, what's going to happen? And if anything, just to prepare for an emergency, you know, 
Dan and Babs are very conscious that they travel everywhere together on airplanes. Occasionally things happen, right? Yes. You know, so now I love how Dan talked to you. He said, yeah, I'm going to die on stage. Just not today. (laughs) (laughs) And he has plans for 100 and 156. So he's got a long life plan. Right, right. So not today. No, but if we did need to do something, what would it be? So really making sure that you take care of your family and take care of your team members to make sure you get the advice you need for that ownership transformation, which is a cool way of talking about it, is so critical. They'll ask you questions and you'll have to go, oh, how do I feel about this? Right. It's not necessarily easy, but incredibly worthwhile. I mean, that's just my pitch to kind of go like, don't leave this. I am so with you on that. And one of the books in my head is a book for advisors working with family businesses, because what I find is a lot of advisors will sit down and ask the very technical questions, but they don't tie it to what is your legacy? What are your values? Where do you want to go? And the first book I wrote, Start Here, asked those questions, right? What are your values? How have you made decisions for always? And how will you continue to do it? It helps perpetuate this way of being as a business. What is your legacy? What's your philosophy of ownership? And ask those kinds of questions. Because when you're clear on that, it's actually easier. I don't think it's ever easy, but it's easier to answer these questions about when I beam up, this is how I want it to work. This is how it should go. I love every second of what you just said, because as you said, when you've got, this is true for any company, if you've got your core values, it helps you make decisions and it helps other people make decisions when you're not there. So then you can go, oh, does it make sense for Joni or Billy? Actually, no, because they don't really epitomize these values. So that does not make sense. Yes. But Joe Blow, who's been here since day five, they're a great fit for that then you'll just be much wiser and you'll have a success criteria against which to make that decision. Yes. I have this example that I love. I worked with a family business. It was mom and dad, the owners, figuring out second generation. And they were going to gift the business to their son. Mm -hmm. That was their plan coming in. But when they created their values, one of them was, and the way I have people create their ownership values is different than when I work in the business. But the way I have them create their ownership values is I have them look at, What are the big decisions you've made over time as a way to discover their values? Because they've always been following them, right? So I had them look at this and, you know, why did you start the business? Why did you buy the building, right? Why did you grow? Why did you shrink? Why did you sell this off? And one of the values they kept coming to was they love creating something from nothing that was valuable to them. The other thing, and they had four or five, I'm I'm just going to point to these two. So one was creating something from nothing. The other one was taking what you have and building from it. And what they realized is it was completely against their values to gift this business to their son. And they changed their ownership philosophy to, you must buy the business. You must buy in. I think they ultimately sold it for, you know, significantly lower than the value so he could afford it because it was a very impressive business, but he still had to buy it. They wouldn't give it to him anymore because they were clear about that. Yeah. Otherwise it was like, oh, our financial person says, give it to him. Okay, we'll do it. But once they got clear on that, it didn't make sense anymore. And they found a financial and legal way to make it all work. So totally. Yeah. One of our exercises at Coach and a huge part of the core values of my team success handbook is having a no entitlement attitude. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So, and there's novels written about this, about entitled yes. second or third yes. generation people. You know, it's the founders are regs to riches. And then, you know, three generations later, they're back to regs again because they didn't yeah. actually know the fundamentals of how that wealth or yeah. you know, capability was created. So that makes so much sense to me. And that's kind of the definition of entrepreneurship is you kind of create Absolutely. something from nothing and you do it through getting super strategic and creative in tough situations, often without a lot to rub together. Yes. So that makes so much sense to yeah. me. That's fabulous. So, so good. I, I just love that example. It's so, so amazing. We could go down a rabbit hole, but let's not. Gino Wickman wrote this great book called Entrepreneurial Leap. And he talks about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And there's a whole chapter in there about family business. Oh, and I had this aha moment when I read it thinking, you know, it's not necessarily always entitlement that has the business die at the third generation. It's the lack of entrepreneurial passion mm-hmm. and orientation. Oh, I just had a conversation yesterday with the family business and they're really, really struggling. And I pointed out to the owner that she doesn't have to run it. She could just own it. 
And that was a big moment for her. And that's part of the amazing thing about the three circle model is you can be the owner. It doesn't mean you have to run it. It doesn't mean you have to run it. So people can move, you know, in EOS, we they talk about seats, but you can move around, which yes. is really cool. So if you were both in the business and the ownership, well, you're actually, if you're her, you're in all three yeah. seats. Yeah, she's right in the middle. She's right in the middle, but she can move out of the running of the business, which is incredible freedom. Love that yes. story. And that must've been a huge aha for her. For her, it was kind of like, well, I've been looking at the three circle model and I've been looking at the accountability chart. How did I not notice that? But a lot of people walk around thinking I have to run it. If I own it, I have to run it. Yeah. And that's not true. Period. We both coach exactly the same type of type of people. people. Yes. And when people realize that they can free themselves up from the parts of the business that no longer feed them, if it ever really did. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to move strictly into that ownership seat. We would call it stay in your unique ability, wherever that is. Yes. You know, and yes. if it's not in any of the roles in the business, great, do something else, you know, yes. and you can yes. still own it. So we're totally aligned with that. Yeah. So let's jump into, well, I think there's a couple things. One is I think owners can be very challenging for the children of owners, because sometimes it feels like it's expected whether or not they have yes. that same entrepreneurial drive. I also know it's very challenging sometimes for the non-family members, which is another part of the model, yeah. because they're like, uh, am I going to work for 25 years and have nothing? And Joe, yeah. you know, so-and-so who's just graduated yes. college gets keys to the kingdom. So, yeah. and I'd love to hear stories because I think that's the most fun. Oh my gosh, I have so many. Yeah. So how do you piece that up? Like take each of those examples and what do you see works or doesn't work or how, what's the best way for people to think about things? That is such a fun question. So there's a couple things I want to back up and then I can give you some examples. So I mentioned each of the three circles gets to make different decisions. Right. And that often gets mixed up. Each of the three circles has rules of engagement and that can sometimes get mixed up. The other thing is each of the three circles has a leader. And that's really important. Okay. And we're talking about that a little bit when we say, you know, you don't have to run the business if you own it. And I think this is kind of cute. So in the business, you know, in EOS language, it's the visionary integrator. But, you know, in most businesses, they just call the leader the CEO, right? right? They run the business, they make sure it, you know, hits its goals, et cetera. The leader for the family is also the CEO. It's the chief emotional officer. Ooh, I love that. Isn't that fun? Yes. The chief emotional officer's role is often to break ties if that's needed in conflict. But that's kind of the bummer side of it. Their role is to help keep the family together. Their role is to make sure traditions happen. Their role is to make sure it's not only business that's talked about at the family reunion or at the birthday party. So this is where right? I bet you the spouse comes in sometimes. The spouse is a huge, huge part. Yep. Yeah. And then the ownership needs like the chief ownership officer, and that can look different depending on the phase the business is in. Often when a business starts, there is one person who's the chief emotional officer and the CEO of the business and the owner, or maybe there's a spouse who's the chief emotional officer of the family and the other one does it. But as a business gets more and more complicated with more generations, you need to get clear and there needs to be succession in all three. Right. Right. Including chief emotional officer that cannot be ignored. So anyway, that's a really important thing. So decision-making, rules of engagement, leadership. And then the other thing is each circle has its own set of priorities. Usually the family circles priorities are harmony, fairness. That's what they want there. Right. And typically a business wants, you know, return on investment, profits, growth. Ownership often gets ignored. Yeah. People don't think, what do I want from the ownership? Why do I own this? So that needs to get defined. So I, I wanted to back up to say that because when you start talking about these things, like, you know, you might have a key employee who's there for 30 years or even a highly skilled person who's been there for five years. And then they realize all I might ever get out of this is some money I put in a retirement account. I don't get a piece of this pie. Should I be here? Right. A great way to handle that situation is to make sure that they're really being careful about the ownership circle. Yeah. What kind of business do they really want to run? Do they want a business where a really talented executive can participate? Uh -huh. Or do they want a business where they're going to risk losing people regularly? Yeah. What do they want? 
And there's ways to get phantom stock and, you know, not become like the business partner of your key employee's daughter or something, right? I think that's what people worry about. And that's all, you know, legal financial stuff that I know enough to say some words, but, you know, you got to get people to help you do that. Well, I I know about ESOPs and there's stuff like that. There's all that. And what is interesting when people do go that path, and I don't know if there's a not so much right or wrong. I'd love to hear what success stories look like. Yeah. But it's interesting because it actually moves the team members and from the business side more into the ownership seat, which is yes. both an emotional component. But when you know that you're building something that you're a part of yeah. and that you will get a return from, it actually does shift the mindset. I'm actually just talking with one of my clients about that now. And that's really powerful. Like I'm a bit unusual in coach because of, how I got started with company, but I take a massive degree of emotional ownership over the company. I consider myself a full partner. Thank you very much. Despite some non-financial parts of it, but that's just how I, I was number six in the company. So a long time, right? But that's just me. So it's interesting that ownership part, you do look at things from a very different perspective than an employee, even a highly paid experienced employee, because they're like, oh, it's their company. Right. Right. Versus it's my company. There's a very different shift. Oh my gosh. I know, which I think is profound and important. I do too. And I, one thing I run into that surprises me on a regular basis is people who actually are owners, but don't necessarily know what that means. Yes. Yes. Right. So we're talking about a non-owner feeling ownership when they get it. But one of the things I run into is I'm an owner, but I don't know what that means. I don't realize that it means that it's a big problem if I employ all my cousins and won't fire them because that's actually hurting the business. That philosophy is bad for the business. It's great for the family, but bad for the business, right? So that's just one example. And for me, putting some muscle around that ownership brain is so helpful. So that's like a theory, right? Thank you for the theory, Sarah. Yay, we agree. But here's the tool that I love. So three circle model that I love to give to people is I'm actually literally right now working on creating things that people can download from my website and print. And they're just literally like, I don't know, when I was in kindergarten, you'd like wear a, you know, make a hat and, you know, put it around your head. So anyway, I'm working on that. But anyway, I want people to literally, and I know a family business who did this. So I'll give this example from the actual family business. I know who did this. The dad went out in his like workshop and got a bunch of hats and he put duct tape on it. And one of them, he put dad and one, he put boss and one, he put owner and for his sons, he put employee and son and, you know, something else anyway, but here's this tool wildly valuable. I'll use this family business as an example. As an owner, the dad realized the, this was, oh my gosh, this might be almost 20 years ago. Economy was terrible. They owned this business, hugely hurt by a lack of tourism in their area. They had to lay some people off and his son was one of the people. Made that decision as an owner that they just had to like shut things down. He also was leading the business really hard. So he had to actually lay him off. So he invited his son over for dinner. And after dinner, he put the owner hat on and he said, I own a business that we've been talking about you owning someday. In order for you to someday own this business, as you know, I had to lay some people off. And then he put the boss hat on and said, you know, as you know, I'm, I laid you off today. And then I'm not saying it as eloquently as he tells it. This guy's hilarious. But anyway, then he took the boss hat off, put a hat on that said dad and said, son, your mom and I heard you had a bad day at work. How can we help? Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing. It's weird that you're saying this because I actually was talking to my friend. I'm like, oh, you should get different hats. (laughs) Get different hats. (laughs) And I actually learned this from Colby because this one person yes. in the crisis was putting on her preventive follow-through hat as long with her initiating quick start hat. So that was how I yes. heard about it. And I know my dad used to do this when he was doing Six Sigma. So it's powerful because it's the context from which you are speaking, Yes, right? It's the context for the conversation and context is everything. everything. And so as a dad or parent, you're like, oh my gosh, honey, you really had a bad day. I'm so sorry yeah. that happened. It was a bad day at work. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, there's a fun word, conflate. When things get mushed together, that kind of shouldn't be. And so I think that's important. And I think to be able to identify the roles, and that's the 
challenge and the opportunity, so kudos, because this takes courage to do this, is to recognize that you are in these three different areas. You're in the ownership seat, you're in the family seat, and you're in the business seat. You kind of have to be three different people sometimes, or at least express yourself that way. I'm slowly getting the picture here, but this is what you've been trying to get across. There are three different consciousnesses and that's a word and mindsets and perspectives and ways to communicate three different contexts that are at play. And when you do more than one, that's when it gets interesting, right? That's when you're like, Oh, okay. Now the other thing I'm hearing is that bottom line, and I'm, I'm curious to see your take on this bottom line it's what's best for the business that matters when you're running a family business. Mm, Would you yeah. agree with that? You're like, well, it depends. Like, what are your thoughts? I like to say every time I talk about family business, I am describing a perfectly healthy family business situation. Great. Right. I'm giving you a picture of utopia, right? I don't know if that's ever happened, like fully, fully for more than one second. Yes. But I do think ideally, um, and actually I will say, my opinion, if I was running a family business, that is how I would do it. We're a business. I would run it on EOS. I would say, these are the rules. It's all very transparent. I absolutely, Sarah Stern says that. For sure, that is how I would run a business. When I look at the three circle model and when I think about it, and I guess that shows how nerdy I am, how much I think about it. But in the end, what it comes down to for me is what is the ownership circle defining as how this should work? Okay. To me, it ultimately comes to that. And what I say to owners is it is their job to maximize opportunity for those other circles. So owner's job is to maximize opportunity for the family and for the business. Okay. So that's one piece though. There's two. And I know I'm saying a thousand words, so I should say it a couple of times. Their other job as owners is to minimize risk to the family and the business. Ooh, I love that. And I'm going to say it again. So ownership's job is to maximize opportunity for the family and for the business. It's also their job to minimize risk. I love that. Try family and the business. And so that's why when I think about this, it's like, well, what the owners want is the way this should be defined in the business. And every time I think that through the way my brain comes down to is have a clear and healthy way to run the business, or it's really hard to maximize opportunity and minimize risk for both. And I mean, just an example of maximizing risk for the business, but maximizing opportunity, which is upside down, is when you say all family members get a job. That's great for the family. Everybody's got a job, but it's terrible for the business. And if you play it out, it ends up being terrible because the business is over and now nobody has a paycheck. So it's ultimately bad. Well, and also my other take on this, given my focus on unique ability and contribution, is that if I have a job and it's something I'm not great at, but I'm being paid anyway, it's a distortion yes. of how I can actually impact the world in a good way. And I have zero confidence in my capabilities because I'm getting paid for not contributing, which is, it's like misinformation to your brain, right? So I actually think it does harm to the human. And I know a few, not very many, of people who've inherited wealth and they're not quite sure why they're on the planet. Poor things. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. You saying that. Yeah. They never know that what they've done has actually made a difference. And I know I've heard red stories. You know, did I get this job because of who I am and my unique contribution, or do I get it because of my last name? Right. Yes. I'm sorry. That's a crappy yes. thing. It's terrible. Like, I have begged people to please not do that to their kids. Because while it feels nice to give your kid a business or a job, it is extremely destructive to their well-being and their soul. Growth is a human being. (laughs) It's like the worst thing you can do. Personally, I've heard the rule. I want to bounce this off you. I've heard a rule that some parents put in place. It's like, great, you want to join the company? Good. You need to go work elsewhere for minimum three, preferably five years first. I love that. And when you do join, you have to start at the bottom of our training program like every other person. Yeah. They don't get treated special. What do you think about that? I love it. Part of what I have people do, and I've mentioned this a couple of times in our conversation, is create an ownership philosophy. Part of that ownership philosophy is what does it take to be an owner? Another one is what does it take to work here? Mm. And of course, my personal favorite, but the ownership philosophies must be aligned to values, right? But my personal favorite is when they say, I mean, when you're whatever, 12, you can come and sweep the 
warehouse floor or whatever, because it instills an amazing work ethic. Yeah. But, you know, once you get to hireable age, you have to go work somewhere else and you have to get a promotion. Ooh, that's advanced. That's one of my, and again, this is Sarah's personal favorites. People have to make their own ownership philosophies. And then of course, as an EOS implementer, I like to just say, I actually don't love that you have to start at the bottom thing. This is a weird, unexpected statistic. Most family businesses pay their family members under market value, even though what's the word on the street about family businesses? They pay them twice what they're worth. They give them these jobs. That's actually not true. So what I like to say is, Work somewhere else, get a promotion, and then you have to be right person, right seat. You know, that's using EOS language, right? There has to be a real seat and you have to get it. You have to want it and you have to have the capacity. That's my personal favorite. I don't go putting that on people because it has to align to the legacy they're trying to create, to all that kind of stuff. But that is, again, if my kids came to work with me, that's how I would do it. (laughs) Well, and I think it completely goes along with what you're saying about maximizing opportunity and minimizing risk. And again, it completely aligns like, well, right person, right seats is a hundred percent a match for coach thinking as well, because, and I work hard and we work hard as a company to figure out, to help people know themselves. We use cognitive profiles. We do two or three different personality indexes. We use Colby to figure out how people naturally strive. And we want all of those things to line up. Cause I think when you do, you've got a healthy, happy and productive human being. Yeah. So why would you want anything else for your... Yeah. Actually, can I tell a quick story? Yes, please. So I hired my sister. Yeah. Coming back from Mexico and she goes, Shan, she was a teacher. You know, she's got a, a med. She's brilliant. She's our unique ability queen now. I hired her and like, I said, hey, I really need some help getting organized. And if anyone's familiar with the Colby profile, colby.com, K-O-L-B-E.com, if you're not, because I'm a two and follow through, it turned out, Well, let me get to that. So I said, oh, but well, before I hire you, I want you to do this profile to make sure that you're a right fit because I needed some help organizing (laughs) because I'm pretty much have done that by nine o'clock in the morning. It's gone. Uh, My mental energy for, yeah, if I can get dressed and at my desk on time, then that's my fault for the day. day. (laughs) And she goes, what do you mean you might not hire me? And I'm like, no, why would I hire you for a role, a job for which you're not suited, I wouldn't be a very good sister if I did. Oh, I love that so right? much. And she was like, oh, that was a different take than what she was expecting. <laughs> Thank God. And she did it. Turns out she's an eight and follow through so she oh, can organize perfect. and does circles around me. And then she outgrew me in six months. So that was me hiring my relatives, just saying. Okay. And it was my own team at that point. So I was the owner now that I think about it. Yes. Yes, right. I want to underline that statement because I think a lot of people wanting to be a good sister do the opposite with a big, good heart, a happy heart. They do the, oh, you need a job. You're not happy there, whatever. I'll find a spot for you. It's so mean. (laughs) But of course, you don't feel it that way. But, ooh, terrible. But having tools, like I'm lots of profiles, no lots of things and certified in a few of them. But having tools, I don't think I was wise enough to have the mindset necessarily, but I did have the mindset of essentially right, I didn't know about it then, but you know, right person, right seat. Because there's no way I want, having worked in a job where the main focus was administration. And if you look at my Colby profile, you're like, oh Lord. No. You know, and here's the deal. I'm good enough to sell myself into that job. (laughs) I'm a good enough salesperson. I've had the experience. I've got credibility. I had the highest billable hours in my previous company. I could sell you into hiring me as an administrator. It would be the worst decision you could make or I could accept, right? So I know that. So having tools, you know, you've got tools. Yep, yep. use profiles a lot to help go, oh, okay, there's something underneath that we need to make sure aligns is so critical. So I just cannot emphasize that enough. And again, as I said, Amy and Kathy talk about that in the Colby book, Business is Business. Mm -hmm. It's like putting the wrong people in a seat is the number one problem they were solving with that book. Yes. But you've expanded my thinking in terms of this, which is really interesting. Yeah, you're not serving anyone when you do that. Really, you're not. I mean, I guess, wow, I've never thought about this and I'm aware of the fact that it's going to sound really harsh. The only person you're serving when you do that is yourself because you feel 100%. good. Oh, 100%. Burn, but true. 
I don't think it's harsh. I think it's accurate. It might be a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. Actually, here's the other thing. I've heard this from someone who continued to make the mistake even after he realized it. He was doing it to make up for what he felt was, he didn't feel like he'd been a good dad. Yeah. And so him trying to make his son happy through the business, he was trying to solve a family issue. Ooh, that's a whole other topic. That is huge. Solve family issues in the family circle and business issues in the business circle and ownership issues in the ownership circle or things get mixed up. They get really mixed up. There's something you said that I want to underline. So I work with this great family business, second generation. When they engaged in EOS, they said, we're going to be a hundred percent pure. We're going to do it exactly. And this is why we're going to do it exactly because they can blame it on EOS or blame it on me Instead of it being, oh, he's the youngest, now he's the boss, and he's such a jerk, right? It stops being personal when you say, we run on EOS and EOS says so, or we use strategic coach tools, and that's what the tool tells us. Okay, that is genius right there. So however you depersonalize it. Yes. Because the temptation, I think this is the big issue with family businesses, the temptation to take it personally is like a thousand percent if there's such a thing, yeah. right? It's, it's so tempting because, and you're like, oh, like Julia was like, what do you mean you might not hire me? Yeah. I'm like, cause that would be, it could be mean yeah. if you're like me, which I knew she wasn't, but you know, so it worked yeah. out fine and yeah. Yeah. all the things, but it's, you need those things to be able to not take things personally. And EOS is brilliant for it because of this, yes. in the yes. whole operating system is just so intelligent. Coach tools are also yes. great. They yes. depersonalize it. So you do an impact filter, a strategy circle, an experience transformer, a certainty, uncertainty, or all the things. You're like, oh, oh, this is what we should do, right? Or profiles. They also really yes. help to see things more objectively than subjectively. It is, you know, so the hat tool is simple, You don't need to download anything, whatever. Just say, I am being mom right now. I am being boss right now, right? So valuable. And then pick a thing and commit to it. And when it spits out an answer, which is not always that black and white, but it will spit out an, you know, using a tool will spit out an answer. Trust the tool. It just takes all that, all that personal, personal stuff out. And I have to say, there's this little thing nagging me in the back of my head. I can imagine maybe you lost listeners when I said, I don't like to start from the bottom and work your way up. So I just have to go back to this and clarify something. Why I don't like that. It's part of what we've been talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't stick someone in where it just doesn't make sense for who they are. But I know there's going to be people who say BS on that. My kid still has to start at the bottom. This is an example of why I don't like that. I worked with a family business. They had a rule that you had to actually, their rule was you have to go to college. Nice. That was a pretty strong one. You have to work somewhere else and you have to get a promotion. That was their rule. Like theirs was harder than mine. And then there has to be a seat for you. One member of their family went to college, went and got a job, got a promotion, was a very big deal in her in the other business at the age of 28 or 29. She was the right person for the seat her dad was sitting in and she should have been there, but they insisted that she start at the bottom of that part of the business. And she more than cut her income in half to come work for the family business. And that just doesn't feel right to me. No, that's a really big sacrifice. Yeah. I get it. Okay. That's a great example. So that's part of why I say that. Yeah. But she also, when she was 10, was sweeping the warehouse floor. When she was a teenager, was helping the secretary at the front door. When she was a high schooler, she was delivering stuff, right? She'd done all that stuff. So I'm not saying don't have them work their way up. Don't have them work side by side with the rest of the company. I think that is valuable. And most entrepreneurs do that, right? Most entrepreneurs in the first generation do all the jobs until they have to hire someone. So I'm not against it. I just wanted to clarify, right? Right person, right seat is the answer. Don't make them uh, just irrelevant. Make them start in a job where they have to take a pay cut. It's silly. Well, yeah. And if they're the right person and they had a different last name, you would have hired them already. (laughs) Exactly. So that look at it from the business perspective, is this the best talent we can get at this rate to define the A player? Then hire them appropriately. So yeah, that's a perfect example. Thanks for letting me go back. That was just driving me crazy in my head. Like there needs to be a little bit more said about that piece. Cool. 
All right. This is so fun. You and I could go down all the alleyways. Good. So, so good. I'd love to know what's the number one challenge and the number one opportunity mm. for family businesses. I know it's there's a million. So I'm asking you an almost impossible question. And you're <laughs> writing books to solve all the issues that you see. I'm working on it. I yeah. understand. I feel the same way about entrepreneurial teamwork. But what's the one where people get tripped up the most? Is it when they do things for family reasons, when they're in the business seat? You know, like yeah. what's the biggest issue that you see? We've been talking about the biggest one. And I'm not saying something specific, but what I'm saying is, solving family issues in the business or business issues in the family, right? Solving their issues with the wrong set of rules of engagement or priorities. Mm-hmm. And we've given so many examples that often happens in important moments like succession of ownership mm-hmm. or the succession of leadership. That's the moment where it often shows up. Succession of leadership. Yes. I've never heard that term and that's very inspiring. Yes. So, you know, we hear about who owned it then and who owns it now, right? That's succession. But there has to be succession of leadership in the business. Mm -hmm. Who's the next integrator? Who's the next visionary? Who's the next marketing person, right? There has to be succession in the family. Who was the matriarch often? It's often a matriarch, but not always. Who's going to be the next one? Oh my gosh, we could do a whole conversation on that. I know a family business who realized their chief emotional officer died and no one picked up that baton. And what they realized was, and it's maybe not true in their family, but I think it is true in a lot. The next generation only had sons and none of them naturally stepped into that seat. Mm-hmm. And the family started coming undone, which meant they didn't have all the like, the trust and goodness when there was conflict in the family. And so finally, one of the sons stepped into that chief emotional officer. So anyway, we could do a whole thing on that. But anyway, succession there. I heard that same story yesterday. Exactly the same thing where the sister, something had happened to her and she was the one who pulled everything together and she passed away. And the rest of them just didn't have that chip. I don't have that chip either, just saying. And so it kind of fragments a little bit, unless it's someone else steps in or maybe it's an, you know, a, a wife or, or a husband yes. of somebody, it's kind of a missing role. My sister is actually brilliant at that. So she'll be the one. Yeah. So huge. Yeah. So yeah, you need succession on the chief emotional officer. You need to have that. And then of course you need succession for whoever's leading ownership, which gets way complicated when it goes from one owner to siblings or to cousins. Oh my gosh, it gets insane. So you need to have succession there as well. Okay. That's yeah. fabulous. So what's yeah. the biggest opportunity for family oh. businesses? What do you love and get so excited about? What do you see for their future oh. that just jazzes you? Only talking about one is going to make me insane forever. So here's the thing. So I'm going to start with some statistics. Family businesses employ more people. These are US-based statistics. And I certainly can't tell you every country in the world, but it is true for very many other countries. They employ more people. They create more jobs. And they tend to give more generously in their local communities, churches, schools, hospitals, arts, et cetera. So the real opportunity from my perspective is the opportunity to be ongoing, excellent employers, Mm. the opportunity to give to your local community. And there are so many more success stories in family business than failure stories. The big opportunity I see is this excuse to have a project as a family. That's huge. A lot of families I know that have family businesses, like they know their cousins and their second cousins and their third cousins. The families I know that don't have a family business don't have that excuse to have this deep and rich family identity. That's huge. Ooh, deep and rich family identity. I love every second of that. And the other aspect, or maybe just uncovering a little bit more, is because when you are working with your family members, it's not social. You are striving. You're operating from a different part of the human mind. It's your head, your heart, and your gut that are at play. And normally in family situations, you're not striving. You're hanging out, you're eating dinner, you're opening presents, you're doing whatever. But the striving together, that's a whole other layer of connection that most people don't experience with their family members. That was a massive aha for me. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You don't have that on vacation. You don't have that at a family reunion. Yeah. It's huge. Well, that's why a lot of people say, I could never work with my husband or my wife or my daughter. <laughs> They're like, oh no, we strive too differently. Yes. But when you can do it, 
It's pretty brilliant. One of our fabulous coaches, Chad, has 11 children. I know. And he actually, I think he bought the business, a business for his family to run. Wow. And to give his experience. So he was a family venture, Mm -hmm. to your point. By design. Exactly. So they could discover their own talents, their own skills, so they could strive together. It was a family project, which is such a cool way of thinking about it. And you know, it's successful. So we'll see how it ends up. Now they're going to go on some cross-country adventures. They do lots of cool (laughs) things together. But it was so fun hearing about it because he was kind of talking about it from that venture perspective and projects perspective that you're talking about. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, so many opportunities in being part of a family business. Those are just the top two. I mean. I love that. I love that. So Some of my takeaways, well, my biggest one is that each of these different circles, you know, the whole family side has a mindset and perspective, but kind of keep family, family, you know, really make sure that, you know, that chief emotional officer, that that's really there and put the hat on when that's appropriate, but don't do it when it's not. Yeah, You know, that the business perspective is a business perspective. And that's actually probably the best way to take care of the of the mm-hmm. family is to make yes. sure this is viable. Thank you yes. very much. That is a really effective way. Yes. Yeah, don't conflate those. And then the ownership one, which is probably the biggest gap for a lot of people. They're like, uh, what are you talking about? Yeah. Because it's a little bit like, you know, a fish doesn't know it's swimming in water. It's just where they <laughs> come from and they don't, they're like, oh yeah, I am. I am an owner. I've never, you know. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Yeah. But that really can determine that mindset and those values are key. The other one is have tools. So have it be about an EOS decision. Are you yes. right person, right seat? Does your Colby a right fit for the role? Do you have the right personality for this particular, you know, job? You know, does the coach tool say to do that? I think having tools to depersonalize and it can make it more objective and less subjective yes. is another takeaway. And again, I'm going back to this ownership thing. Be really conscious about what are your values? How do you want to include people who may not be family? Yeah. You know, and think that through as opposed to just leaving it to default when something happens to you. <laughs> I've had people literally say to me what you just said. Well, okay, great. You said think like an owner. What do you mean, Sarah? And th- this is the best way I've been able to think about it. So if you own a house or a car, yeah. you don't typically, you know, let a leak just go and go and go all over the kitchen floor forever. When you own a business, why are you letting that employee sit there and just let the money go all over the place by paying them to do nothing or paying them to hurt morale, right? So that's one of the ways that, you know, when you own a house, you don't let a hole in the roof just be there forever. You don't let a tree fall on your house, right? So what are the metaphorical holes in your roof, tree, et cetera? That's one thing that helps people really start to think, oh, if I'm the owner, why am I doing this? That's a bad idea. Yeah. Dan's been having this conversation around your intellectual property. Yeah. Right? Like treat what comes out of your brain the same way that you would your house. Yes. Yes. Similar type of deal. So this is- Exactly. Yeah. People don't naturally go there. We don't have school for that. We don't have a lot, not a ton of books. Like what is that really about as an owner of your business? So Mm -hmm. anyway, you were talking about the tools, but I just wanted to nail that piece down. What do I mean when I say that? That's- a little more about what I mean. That's very clarifying. Okay. I love that story. Oh my gosh. This has been so rich and so full and I'm so we've all over the place in rough order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if people want to know more about you, your awesome company is the Sage Pages, which I think is yes. such a cool holding company for, well, it's not a holding company. It's, it's where your books come out of. Yep. So if people want to know more about you, Sarah, again, how can they find your book? Let's say the name of your book again. And then how can they get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your this awesome model and, and all the things you're up to? So yeah, go to The Sage Pages. You can find my book there. You can get on the list for my next book and then the one after that. And someday I'll put a link for the next one after that. Hopefully you can get those hats download from there, but they're not up there yet. It's also a great way to contact me. If you don't want to go there, I'm on LinkedIn. We didn't talk about this, but my name is a sentence and I think that's really funny. My name is Sarah B is my middle initial. So my name is Sarah B Stern. So I'm Sarah B Stern on LinkedIn. That's another way to get a hold of me or from the EOS worldwide. You're laughing about that. Yeah. I have a friend who says, Sarah, be nice. Sarah, be funny, right? So anyway, but. (laughs) Um, I love that story. Sarah B. Stern on LinkedIn or the Sage Pages or from the EOS Worldwide. Look up Sarah B. Stern also. 
Okay, fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much. I appreciate having this model. Actually, we should just make sure that actually people know have the link to that too. So it's the three circle model of family business, which comes out of Harvard, which is yes. good credentials on that one. Yes, they have a good reputation. Yeah, and we'll put the link to that too in the show notes. Perfect. So this is so insightful because again, so many people, the percentage you gave for privately held businesses and even some publicly held ones, all of us have had experience with family held businesses. Right. And so to really go into the deep dive about all the different things, and it's a much more emotional approach to business than just a corporation, the most standard ones. Mm -hmm. This is a very relevant part of any entrepreneurial conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing Mm. your wisdom and insight with us. Mm. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 